out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. I'm with you for the next 30 minutes. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of... Uh, Damien O'Neill, member or one-time member, possibly still member of The Undertones, but definitely one-time member of that petrol emotion. And also he has got various other musical projects on at the moment. Um, So this is the interview. So as always, after a bit of casual chat, we got down to that excited subject that was, yes, the ability to keep staying in the music business. Mostly people have five years, but not Damien. He just keeps going and going. Anyway... Tell us your secret, Damien. It's over to you. <laughs> um, well, not wanting to get a proper job, maybe. <laughs> that's what that's what that's my that's what makes me uh, do this thing. Um, no, I'm joking. Um, well, I I just love music, and I love making music. I love trying to be a bit creative when I can. Um, a cliche, you know, but I, I, it's true. I think it's. Uh, um, I mean, I've been wanting to do a solo record for a long time, uh, yes. for years. I actually did did I kind of did one already back in two thousand and back in two thousand. I think it was nineteen ninety nine, two thousand, when I put out a, an album of sort of film music, instrumental sampled film music on pop tones on yeah. McGee's label. So that was something I needed to do back then and then I've been wanting to do another more song based solo record um, for years and years uh, finally got enough songs together it's taken me a good three years to get it all together or whatever but anyway finally I've finally done it so yeah, yeah. Um, which is yeah, quite you know, which is quite impressive because obviously you know you're a little bit older than me and you obviously must um, uh, yeah um, <laughs> Well, I don't know what age you are. Dave. Well, I'm sort of 54 yeah. now, so... Um, right, oh, yeah, so. I'm 57, I think. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, so your musical influences, because I sort of grew up in that world of watching Top of the Pops, but also being quite heavily influenced by my brother, who was at that time was older than me. Right. So he was more into prog rock and a bit of heavy metal. So what were your sort of musical moments? Um, well, obviously, back in the mid-70s, um, well, I loved all that. I loved all the glam stuff and Slade and you know T Rex Slade, all that kind of, all the Susie Quadros, all those you know when when it's four thirteen fourteen, then kind of um, sort of graduated. To, there's a, my first LP I ever bought actually was a band called Horse Lips. Have you heard of them? No. They were an Irish traditional rock band, mid seventies, but they were the bees knees back in if you came, came from Ireland, you know, because they played in Derry. It was the first band they ever seen as well. They were from, they were mainly from the south, from the Republic, but um, they were, they were, they were great, great, great live band. So that got me wanting to be a musician, actually watching them. And then um, I think, you know, you're of, like you said, you were influenced by your brother. Well, I was influenced by jo- or John. John was bought a lot of stuff. He would buy, um, well, early days, it was J.J. Keel and, um, little feet and the doors and stuff like that, and you you pick that up. And then, of course, when the undertones started forming early, like, well, I say it was seventy five, seventy six. It was uh, we were really in the Rolling Stones and Doctor Feelgood, yeah, R and B kind of stuff, really. And then we heard Eddie and the Hot Rods, and then 
you know, um, the, the Levy de Marquis EP, which we loved. And then we discovered through a, a friend of ours who was kind of kind of well off. He he had these. He had basically the stu- first Stooges record, MC5, New York Dolls. So we discovered all this amazing American bands yes. um, that had broken up basically, but hadn't any success. Um, that really influenced, and then of course the Ramones came along, and then Sex Pistols. So we, you know, it was the timing was immaculate for us because we were, we were sort of playing R and B stuff, but we had gone as far as we could, and then it just, you know, hearing the Ramones was and Buzzcocks and was like, wow. Yes. Let's speed up our songs and start, try and write our own songs as well. It was great. Yeah, well, that's quite interesting because it's interesting you mentioned Dr. Feelgood because the first band I saw live was Nine Below Zero, who was a slightly similar All band. Right. And yeah, I think they the probably came, came out after them, but not by many years, but obviously had yeah, the same years, yeah. vibe. And for a while they were huge, but um, they never quite broke the charts because no. it was interesting. I was watching this film um recently on a guy called Danny Fields who was one of these people who seemed to sort of go from all these bands like the Doors. Yeah, yeah, I've seen the film Danny says. Yeah, yes. great film. It was an amazing film. And and yeah. he just kind of wanders from one sort of major yeah, band and artist to another. It's like, God, how do you Stages do that? Dancy five, I know, amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was interesting because obviously all those a lot of the bands that you mentioned, he you know, he was kind of involved with and and obviously those yeah. kind of moments that kind of from the you know, like Jim Morrison to the Iggy Pop and then sort of to the Ramones so obviously yeah. you know because I was kind of going the other way of kind of listening to sort of prog rock and then and west coast bands like Spirit and I right. suppose bands like that so so that didn't quite have that cutting edge and one sort of um, thing that often influences us is our kind of environment so was kind of where you were growing up was that particularly a big influence in the sort of music you were making? Um, hard to say I mean you know there was no bands from Derry at the time that had you know wrote their own songs for start so I guess we were at the limb there um but I guess be, me being Irish we we maybe we did lean towards America a lot more than we would say if we were if we grew up in in Britain in England or something like um perhaps there's a possibility of that I never thought of you know. um I don't know I mean I mean the reason why we formed the band really was got out of boredom and there was a lot of, you know, obviously it was during the Troubles, there was a lot of horrible things going on and it was kind of an escape from that. Um, uh, you know, we had no illusions to ever making it. You know, yes. We just, you know, there's the beyond, there, just getting on top of pulse, you know, was a pipe dream. Um, but it, it was, it was definitely something to do with, and rather than, you know, we'd play football or you'd make music. That was it. Or listen to music. And, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, maybe it was just definitely an escape from from all the crap that was going on around us. Um, and if you felt like you were really part of something, like a real, a gang, but not, not a gang going out, you know, uh, throwing stones at the army or whatever. Yes. <laughs> um, a gang, you know, indoors making music. And even if we could hardly play, it didn't matter. It was just, it was fun. It was yeah. real fun. But it's interesting, um, having spoke to a lot of the bands who came in, probably from your influence, you know, from the sort of early 
80s and that indie scene because most of the bands seem to start because of complete boredom and, and lack of any kind of other thing to do so it was like yeah. the enterprise alliance scheme which gave people an, an opportunity who were on the dole to sort of have a year of being on the dole but self-employed as a musician or some sort of artist they could put down poet probably and um, right. so that sort of gave people that opportunity as well but boredom was definitely one of those things and the other thing that I noticed from you know listening to people talking is that their music was um, sort of the, the reason they made a lot of the music they did which was like you know bands like big flame was that um yep. they they were sort of music they couldn't musically copy anybody else they had to make quite a unique sound because of their lack of i suppose you would call it talent or skill but it was at the same time made something very unique you know and big flame were definitely one of those bands yeah we i remember petros played with big flame back in in the 80s whatever yeah yes. they were great and um, so yeah. So, so I was going to say when when you know the when you when you got the you know the first your first band the undertones uh, together did it take a while to start to create the sound? Yeah, I mean we you know we started from scratch we couldn't we really could hardly play but um, you know seventy five when we started I was only fourteen I was youngest I was the last to join because um, my brother Vincent was in the band and then he was. He kind of left because he had to study for his O level, so I, I got a lucky break. I took over, <laughs> um, but we we could barely play. Um, but the, like I say, because we were, we we really um, there was we were very uh, determined to 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 make it, not to make it as successful, but we were determined to to learn our instruments, to to get better and better and better. We really. We put 100%, everybody in the band put 100% into the group. And, um, you know, within two years, because we got a lucky break. We got a residency at this pub called the Casbah. Uh, once we got in there, we put a foot in the door there, we, we started getting a following. And then we started writing our own songs and play, introducing, the, you know, playing songs every time we played at the Casbah. And, you know, we... Learn our chops, really, you know, you know, just improving, improving, improving. And by 78, it, things had got so good that we were, we basically, most of our set was our own, our, just our own songs instead of doing covers like we used to do. So, and then we got, again, another lucky break. Was we got a chance to make, uh, do a single for Good Vibrations, which the Teenage Kicks EP. And then, you know, it'll spiral from there when John Peel picked it up and loved it and played it and, Suddenly, we got signed up to Sire Records, so it was all fortuitous, you know. Yes. Um, but but not, you know. Okay, okay, I do say, you know, obviously timing and all luck, but you know, we definitely had the the talent as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's interesting because I, I interviewed Fast Eddie. He was, you know, Motorhead guitarist, and um, and their first couple of or first three albums were like it was kind of musical perfection, you know, but to, but it took them quite a few years before they kind of just managed to get that sound yeah. and to write well, it. I think we, we, you know, obviously our first, well, the first record definitely, the first LP is, is more Buzzcocks, Ramones, you know, trying to copy that, which is a good template to copy, actually. Um, second one, uh, a little bit more of the same, but we're branching out a little bit more, we're kind of experimenting, listening more, I don't know. There's songs like My Perfect Cousin and stuff. It's kind of, we've been listening to The Who, The Who Sell Out Record or The Kinks. Songs that's that's told a story kind of thing, you know. Um, And yeah, you know, we've kind of changed every record. And Positive Touch then, third LP, 
uh, again, we're more a bit psychedelia, blah, blah, blah. You know, we didn't want to keep staying the same, each album. We didn't want to, or the same old formula, you know. We could have easily, but I think we would have got really bored quickly. Yes. So, you, you know, we, I guess a lot of people prefer in the early days, you know, they've, they've obviously, they think, think the Armstrong, you think Tennis Cakes and you got my number and get over you. Always, you know, which is the kind of the naive freshness about it, which is really good. But, um, you know, we just wanted to keep changing every every record. Um, and we were getting older and growing up a bit more. So, yeah, it's yes, the way it goes. It's know. quite interesting. And how did the sort of general dynamics, because I sort of reali- hadn't realised that much until I did the, or do all these interviews, the difficulty mm-hmm. of trying to keep things together. You know, there's the dynamic within the band. And, yeah. and, there's, and there's that youth, and then there's the management and the admin side, and the yeah. you know, well, trying to create I stuff. Mean, well, with us, I mean, the creative, the cre- most creative person in the band was John. You know, he he wrote probably eighty percent of the songs. He was the songwriting genius, really. Um, he had just this great talent for coming up with amazing, catchy commercial songs. Um, um, and then, but but everybody was. He, you know, obviously he was the lead, de facto leader, really. Um, um, Fergal had the voice, so, you know, we wouldn't have got anywhere without Fergal. He had that amazing, unique voice um, and great frontman. I think I think everybody in the band was kind of, we had, we were all essential, really. Um, but yeah, but, but I'd say by, it was kind of, the honeymoon was over, though, by the time we did Center Pride, it was the fourth record, because uh, we, uh, we weren't really we we weren't really selling many records by then, and we'd signed a big record label EMI, and things weren't going so well. So I think the writing was on the wall then. After that, after that record didn't do too well. Yes. Um, you know, bands only have a certain shelf life. After a while, every trends change and blah blah blah. So it was it was kind of difficult. And then um, yeah, we we called. It was good when we called it a day. It was probably the right thing to do yeah well i didn't realize when it was only talking to paul from the primitives when they got to that point where they put an album out and it was like nobody they sort of realized nobody was interested and i think they they were right. exhausted themselves but they were also realizing that yeah the, you know yeah, the music sure. papers the music press weren't particularly interested that even the fans yeah you know, it's a hard it's really horrible going through where you get a bit of success and then and then um you know you realize the next record whatever you do is doesn't isn't received quite well and then less people coming to see you play and it that downward spiral it's i've been you know i've been through with undertones i've been through it with the petrels it's 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 a horrible it's a horrible feeling <laughs> it really is yes and did you have a moment on that you know your first band the undertones where you you were man you did manage to sort of sit down and not do it sort of backstage or on the tour bus coming back and have a big blow up no, we we never really had a big blow up. No, we never. It was uh, I think it was basically the end. The writing was on the wall, really. Like I said, by the fourth record, and things weren't going too well. And um, relations between John and Fergal were pretty low as well. Um, and then basically, I think it was Fergal that wanted to. He was um, he was more ambitious than the rest of us. So I think he just thought, the hell with it. I, I'll have. I want to go solo. So he. He he basically said he wanted to leave, and but we all kind of shrugged our shoulders. It was fine. Let's let's break up. It's, it was 
pretty miserable by then. Yes, I mean, well, it sounds like it was quite a good one rather than some of the ones I've heard. Which oh, is yeah, terrible. no, we never had any, uh, not really, you know, not, not proper, no, no fights. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No fisticuffs. No, no, leaving somebody in the toilets when they just you know jumped out of the van and sort of bust. no, 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 no <laughs> but then taking somebody out of a tour bus no. in the middle of Cincinnati or something. No, it wasn't like that. No. I always remember there was a fantastic one with Hawkwind, you know, where they they were in Paris and they were trying to get rid of one of the members, but they were so scared of him they they all got up <laughs> early and uh, jumped on the bus. But unfortunately, he he sort of chased them down the road. I think he was naked, and they were t- terrified because they got to a red light and realised because I think he was a bit psychotic actually. But it was one of those great Hawkwind stories. I think they have quite a few. Oh right, yeah, yeah. But then obviously you sort of dusted yourself and down and and quickly formed that petrol emotion yeah well uh, i didn't actually form that petrol emotion it was john my brother john and raymond raymond gorman uh they they were in Derry, obviously in 84 i think they they had they got together in 84 and they started writing songs and they decided to to move back over to london uh with keir mclaughlin and our dairy guy on drums um basically uh i was living in london then and um i was floundered and i was doing nothing really lowest ebb and they played me their demos four track demos uh, which mostly what became Manic Puffer and uh, lo- you know I just had to get involved I really loved it so but they didn't need an our guitar player obviously because Raymond and John were guitars so I offered to play bass and uh, so that's that was my way in so I, did, I mean the pedals saved me <laughs> they really did it was just great to be back in a gang again so to speak but it was um it was musically it was a bit different from the undertones obviously it was more harder uh even though we had some great pop songs as well it was um uh yeah more experimental more yeah it was just uh yeah it was brilliant i loved uh, the early days of petrol are my favorites favorite time yeah just like like it was with the undertones well it was interesting because um, because you obviously you also signed to the pink label weren't you for a while yeah pink yeah simon down yeah yeah well we were supposed to be on creation um uh but uh there was a creation were busy trying to get the mary chain single out i think so and they just kept telling us to wait um keep waiting you know but we we were too impatient because we we had recorded the single we had found steve mack by then, um, Steve had re-recorded his vocals, and so we were just—we didn't want to wait months and months, so we just went with Pink. They offered to, to put the single out instead. That's yeah. fantastic, and also yeah. because it, again, it, you know, as soon as John Peel played it, I mean, because I'm sure he obviously has that, you know, had those problems. He, I think he had it with T Rex and a few other people where he obviously loved some of the early stuff, and then you know somebody would yeah. say, "Look, I've got this new record," and he probably went, "Oh no, <laughs> dear, <laughs> I'm not quite sure if I really want to play this." And I'll, so yeah. that's the end of our friendship. But obviously, with that petrol emotion, um, again, you know, that's where I sort of heard the band straight away. So yeah. John was again. He, yeah, he, it was great with us. He, you know, he 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 played especially actually V two with their single, second single. He um he loved that one. He was playing that a lot on the show. Um, yeah, John, John stuck with us, which is you know he, obviously he didn't have to, um, and just just really fortunate that he he was a, he was a that that Peter Motion fan as well. It's really. That is wonders, you know. Yes, because I think I must have come to see you when you were at the UEA and you were headlining. And yeah, we, we played a lot of times at UEA, I remember. 
Is that where you're from? Yes, I'm in Norwich. Right. So Norwich, yeah, yeah, so so again, you know, because obviously uh, the undertones must have had so much kind of energy and passion and, and again, a great front man. And then you, you know, pet that petrol emotion again, lots of energy, really catchy songs and another great front man. So yeah. again, it must have felt like, it must have been amazing. So how how different were these two bands, you know, when you were with them? Um, well, I think actually, I have to say, with that petrol motion, there was more of a camaraderie, more, it was, we... It was more fun, actually, being in that better motion than it was with the undertones, even though we were we never got as as we weren't as successful as the undertones. It was um, we just uh, I think we were more open to to doing things and experimenting with in the studio and more open to touring as well because the undertones never really we didn't tour that much because you know back then various members didn't want to be away from home and stuff. Um, whereas uh, with the pedals, we we were up for for going anywhere up up to a certain point, and then when obviously when I think when John John had his first child, John, John and his wife, um, that's when it got a bit difficult. John didn't really fancy leaving homing for obvious reasons, so that's when he events he eventually um, decided to leave the band in '88, I think it was, yes. just before the third LP came out. Yeah. It was that Kimmy crazy. It was just before chemistry. It was in well, we we did end in Millennium Psychosis Blues, the third record. Yeah. Um, but John just John had just announced he was leaving just before we started recording that record, which really uh, kind of dampened the spirit in the in the studio at the time. And he he stuck he stuck it out for a while after when we toured that record. Um, but he was always going to leave anyway. Um, yeah. And then yeah, then we kind of. How to start from fresh, really, with Kemi Crazy. Yes. Um, but that kind of invigorated, invigorated us as well, because um, we we knew we weren't a spent force. You know, we knew we still had it in us to um, come up with great songs, and that's when Kieran, Kieran and Raymond really stepped up. You know, they 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 came up, they came in with these amazing songs like Abandon and Sensitize and Hey Venus, Tingle. But yes. Songs like that, which um, made songs. up the bulk of Kimmy Crazy, which yeah. were brilliant, you know, absolutely brilliant. And obviously, you also had that classic, which I suppose is the one that I particularly love, which was uh, Big Decision. Which um... yeah, that 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 was our nearly hit, <laughs> number 40, 42 in the charts. <laughs> and was it? And was that a yeah. song? Because it doesn't sound. Because a lot of people go, "Oh yeah, that took five minutes." You know, we had finished the album, but we needed one more song, so you know, we had to go and write this classic. But with the, with that that song, it seems like it was probably a harder song for it to come together. Um. Well, I can't remember to be honest, John. I just remember John coming in with it, and we all knew this is a this is a great song. This is a this could be a hit single. Um, we did spend a long time on it in the studio with Roly Moseman, you know. I mean, the only thing that dates it, unfortunately, is the drum sound. You know, it's got that 80s reverb drums thing, which is a lot of sampled drums. It kind of, it does date it. Um, I kind of wish it was kept naturally, you know, yes. normal drums. Um, but the song itself is great. It's really great. I mean, my favourite it's actually the one with a single during the Manic Prothero, Manic Prothero days, which was, um, it's a good thing. I always thought that was destined to be a big hit, you know. Um, but we didn't really have the, the record company push because we were on Demon Records. 
and they obviously didn't have the clout to spend money and get it prom- promoted properly. Whatever, it's a real shame because that's that's a great pop pop record. Yeah, that, absolutely. Thing. And the one thing about the Manic Street, uh, the Manic Street, uh, that petrol motion <laughs> was that. Um, I know. Um, yes, you went through a lot of record labels. Was the sort of the general well, yeah. admin and management of that period a little bit tricky? Well, yeah, it was. It was one of those things. Unfortunately, I think that really didn't help our career changing labels all the time. Um, yeah, because the first was on Demon, and that was only a one-off, and then the second was on Polydor. Um, um, then we we left Polydor. Management got us out of the contract. Um, I think Steve Mack alluded to that in his interview with you. Yeah. Uh, due to some legal, you know, hitch, whatever, we we managed to get out, which is good because we didn't want to stay with them. And then we were on Virgin for um, End of Millennium and for Chemi Crazy. And then they dropped us after Chemi Crazy because that wasn't wasn't successful and then we had our own label then for the final final record so yeah um that's another thing unfortunately you can't get a there'll never be a best of that petrol motion because they're all it'll be just a licensing nightmare because we're different labels i know that's one thing i've really noticed with a lot of people is that you know it's like they don't really own their music and and what happens to it is in the sort of i don't know in somebody else's kind of inbox and they're up to whoever and yeah. And often those people aren't that bothered, and it's like, oh, what a shame. But some, you know, luckily some, you know, um, bands have managed to sort of get it all together and just want to archive it. It's a bit like, you know, what you do as you get older. You think, oh, it'd be nice just to archive it and make sure it's all nicely sort of presented yeah. and, and sort of uh, filed so that it's there for sort of every, you know, for anybody and everybody for years to come, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So they, with that petrol motion, that again, that sounded like there was a sort of moment where you all just kind of fatigue and just like... Um, yeah, well, a little bit fatigued. I mean, yeah, it's against that the, that thing I mentioned earlier when we were, um, you know, you, we were playing again, playing turn, but we were getting less people. Um, you know, in hindsight... So maybe we should have taken again. We should have taken a year off or something, and did different things, and then re- regrouped. But um, you know, we were like, we're, yeah, you just get to a stage. Well, you know, is it time to move on? Um, do different things. You know, Steve had his own studio by then. He was very busy with that. He was producing bands. You know, in Crouchen, I think it was. Um, right. Um, so, you know, um, I don't know. It's just one of those things. We just kind of um, didn't want to continue on. I don't know. Maybe it was just, you know, Fireproof, we put a lot of, Fireproof was our last record, and we put a lot of effort into it. Um, it Virgin had it, and then they, they didn't want it, and they dropped it. So we, would, you know, we spent a fortune, actually, on it, per, you know, initially with Virgin money, and then we recorded and everything. And, that kind of, it got, well, I don't remember the, the time. I think the reviews were okay. They weren't glowing, but they weren't bad ever. So it just wasn't enough to to just make us want to stick stick it out. So we decided there and then, uh, let's have a final fling. So we did a, a we did a, a, you know, two two last shows, and one in London, one in Dublin, and recorded it and made a, a great live record out of it, Final Flame. 
Yeah. Are you? Do you? When you look at other bands, you know, there aren't bizarrely there aren't a lot who are still going. This obviously the people like the Rolling Stones and you too, and 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 from the indie days, people like the Wedding Present, and um, and obviously the fall up to you know when Marky Smith died. So, yeah. are, do you sometimes think, God, how do they manage it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's it is tough keeping the band together um, through the lean years as well as the good years. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, you know, we, yeah, like I say, we could have stuck it out or taken a break, but you know, when you're, we were still in our mid thirties, maybe or even late twenties, I can't remember. But you know, we, it's things take, you know, you have family, whatever, and you, people start off children and whatever, and you know, you just maybe priorities change. Um, and you, some people think, well, maybe I'll get up another proper job, you know, earn some money. Which, you know, because I need to. Um, yeah, it's hard to get. I don't know how bands get to do it. No, it's one of the great mysteries. That's why, you yeah, know, what, what, though, though people often knock um, certain artists, and I suppose people like Sting come to mind. Uh, on another level, you know, I always think, actually, you know, they, he has done amazingly well, and you know, to a degree, yeah. the police. You know, it was quite interesting. There was a documentary recently, a three-part documentary on BBC Four, where they were talking about bands reforming and. Uh, and uh, they, it was, you know, the, the the person being interviewed was the drummer Stuart Copeland, and he was just saying that when they did that re- tour again, him and Sting were the most miserable people on the tour. Everyone was having a great time apart from them, and they had to get band therapy to sort their problems out. <laughs> and um, you know, and eventually they did manage to sort of discuss a few issues that they'd had for decades but never been spoken about to try and sort it out and you know they did the tour and everything but you know it did sound like it had been pretty difficult and yes it was definitely one to um put away for a few more decades probably but what what would you say to your kind of 18 year old self then you know if you'd bumped into them backstage and just said a bit of Um, advice uh, chill out a bit more i was well, I don't know. I was, um, I mean, I think actually I would have said put more work, work a bit harder. Um, I think we, he, back then, I kind of, um, I knew, you know, I was, obviously on the were, I was 18 on the first record came out. Um, we were doing really well, probably at our peak. Um, uh, I would like to. I probably said to to myself back then, um, uh, you should instead of going out, spending, getting drunk at night, <laughs> um, or in hotel bars or whatever, um, try and write some more songs yourself. Um, be more disciplined. I think um, you know because it's not going to last forever. Uh, make the most of it. Um, yeah, something like that maybe. Yes, excellent. And obviously, you now you're still, you know, you've formed a new band. And how how's that been? Well, it's not a band. It's actually just me. Um, I just called it the Monotones because um, it's better than just saying Damon O'Neill's solo record. Um, but I will. I'm thinking of seriously getting a band together to do those songs on the solo record. Um, you know, I've got a drummer already, and um, hopefully get Brendan Kelly from that pedal motion to play bass as well so yeah i'm hoping to to, to do it live sometime soon and has it been not you know enjoyable sort of yeah thing? oh it's great um i think i i lacked a bit of confidence in the past 
and just over the years, I kind of chilled out a bit more and went, well, come, you know, I can do this. I can, I can do a solo record. Um, you know, there's nothing stopping me from doing it. And yeah, it was always a bit of lacking confidence, especially singing, singing live, singing, sorry, singing on the studio. Yes. Um, you know, I was never a lead singer, but I think, I think I've done okay. Yeah, well, fantastic. I mean, I did have to listen and uh, I was really impressed. And I, I suppose, you know, as you say and pointed out, you, you were sort of 18 and you had probably all these people a bit older. And also you had Fergal Sharkey and then you had Steve as well. So I guess... Yeah, yeah. You, <laughs> you know what, you appreciate, pre- actually, you don't appreciate lead singers until you have to do it yourself. Well, from, in my case, in the studio. Then I realised, my God, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. And it makes you appreciate great singers like Fergal and Steve, you know. Yes. Um, or any lead singer, really. It's, <laughs> it's a different ball game. It really is hard. So so hard, <laughs> and I guess you must kind of look at Johnny Marr, who's who took a long time before he mm. managed oh, good to. Sort of... Yeah, he's great. It did take him a long time as well, but yeah, he's been great. And I'm, well, you know, he's amazing. He's always an amazing guitarist, but yeah, he must have had the same dilemma. Like, can I do this live? You know, can I can I sing? Can yes. I do this? And he, you know, he's proved he can. Yeah, but it took him a long time, actually, because I it think did. he had a few solo bits that seemed to have disappeared, because I remember there was one of, a solo album he had with Ringo Starr, which they, I don't know what he called it, but it was definitely a different, you know, a different name, but it was still Johnny Marr and right. um, Zach, Zach Starr, I think, was on. But, it, you know, he got there in the end, but it did take him a few yeah. times, and I think, I he think probably, yeah. for me, um, I did a solo single uh 2014, I think it was, um, a seven inch, just two songs, and um, it turned out really, really good. So I think that's what uh, gave me the confidence to think I could do a whole record, whole LPs worth. Um, yeah. Excellent. Well, look, thank you ever so much for giving me the time, and I'm um, sorry about the Skype issues, but <laughs> these things happen. But look, when I put this, when I put this out, I'll definitely um, try and include the single as well that you've just done as well, because that would yeah, be fantastic. Um, yeah. yeah, and and sort of music from your very amazing career, actually, because um, okay. I suppose actually when you look at it, you think, well, the undertones, that petrol emotion. That is pretty amazing, really. And um, yes, yeah, you, yes. I mean, it would never happen, would it? But to put a kind of a hit, a greatest hits out of all the music you've been associated with, with different bands, would be quite impressive. All right. Yeah, it'd be good. It'd but, be good. A, but a legal nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> that will be, unfortunately. Anyway, look, well, thank you ever so much again. And like I said, I'll keep in touch. Right. Okay, David. Thanks. Thanks ever so much. I'll take care. Take now. care. Okay, bye. bye. And that was me in conversation with Damien O'Neill from The Undertones and also from That Petrol Emotion and various other musical combos. Anyway, this has been David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, do at C86 Show. And also these have all been archived on Spotify, iTunes and Podbean. Anyway, that's it. I will have more guests. Thank you for listening.